Hi Chris, how are you? Good afternoon, Rod. Yeah, here we are then, episode 69 this week on the 25th of May. And it's beautiful sunshine here in England. What's it like in Wales? It's exactly the same in Wales. I think most of the UK is roasting in lovely temperatures at the moment. I think we deserved it after a very wet April, May. I think it was all wet, wasn't it? I was just trying to remember I think it's a, it's a very wet 2023, frankly. Yep, and I'm sure we have a drought in the summer. <laughs> Such is life. Yeah, I've I've seen the weather reports from Portugal. There's something like a 40% drought or something in Portugal already for this year, and there's bits of Germany. And then the Italians have had these awful floods, so... Yeah, the weather is messed up. Yeah, it's not good, is it? But anyway, here we are. Should we should we get it straight into follow up? Straight into follow up. So I've got a little bit more follow up on my home pods, which I've got connected to the TV, not the one that I've got the Sonos set system set up on. But I thought I'd try it as I move my Apple TVs around. It's okay. It's you know it's not going to set the world on fire. I got to say they're only little speakers. I'm not expecting the world from them. But there's there's some odd non-family friendly behaviour from them. So for example. My wife sat down to watch something last night on the TV through here and somehow managed to trigger YouTube that I'd been watching previously in the background. So YouTube was coming out of the speakers, which isn't what she was watching on the TV. And that's not good behavior. No, and you want it to be family friendly. So I only use mine in my shed, which is only used by me, and they've been fine. But I haven't risked them in the lounge of the house with the wider family because, yeah, I don't need that. And I just want it to work. Yeah, and this doesn't and like i say it's okay i don't think it's greater than great it's no better than you know uh, it's actually not that much better than what the tv speakers were they're a bit bassier but which isn't surprise there's a bit more sort of space for them but yeah i'm not sold i wouldn't recommend it to somebody as a p- potential sort of answer maybe the bigger ones like you've got would be great but i don't think the home pod menus are right for it it's tricky isn't it because you don't want to make your life more technically complicated sometimes and it's not just for the wider family i think it's sometimes for yourself because you want to sit down and just press play and watch something. You don't want to be faffing, do you? And it's hard to get that balance, I think. Yeah, that's exactly right. Anyway, so that was one bit of feedback. I'll stick with it for a bit longer and see how it goes. Maybe it'll settle down. I don't know. Let's face it. If the nadir, that's a good word for Sunday afternoon, of home tech support is printers, it's not as bad as a printer. <laughs> Which is slowly phasing out, really, isn't it? You know. Yeah. Yeah, well, I say that. You can probably see on the screen I've got a laser printer and an inkjet behind me. So the black and white stuff has to come out off the laser jet, and then the colour stuff comes out of the inkjet. So. Wow, okay. Moving on then. What else of home feedback have you got for us? So after the updates, we'll be talking about the iOS and various other macOS updates shortly. I was offered this Matter update that you committed to, and it broke everything in your house for a while. So because I don't learn, I also said, yeah, why not? What could go wrong? We'll just update it. I don't intend to be adding things to my home anytime soon. I've got my cameras on. I've got my home bridge I've talked about before. And I've got my Hue light bulbs, which have been flawless. You know, they integrate right from the start with Home with Apple Homes. It's been fine. I installed the update and immediately I now can no longer switch on, off or mess with the color temperatures of any of my light bulbs. So that's another terrific win for Matter. That's not good, is it, at all? They fixed all the bugs that I had with it where you couldn't add new devices, but I don't have any of the complexity that you have, so this is not good, is it? I don't think a Hue light bulb is that complex. It's the one thing that's been supported from the start. There's never been any issues with it in HomeKit integration. I think this is the least problematic device you're ever going to have, and I suspect most people that have an Apple Home or an Amazon Home or a Google One probably have Hue light bulbs because of the thing that's been supported. So for it to break this... Is frankly unacceptable. 
Yeah, don't disagree with that statement, I guess. It's, yeah, it's not good, is it? Do you need to install Hue updates as well? I don't, I don't know how all this works. I've looked. The Hue is as up-to-date as it gets. Mm. There was some vague warning about everybody else who's in your family account also needs to update their software, but surely that should just stop them changing the, you know, the turning lights on and off and the rest of it. Not me, if I've updated it and the home kit's updated, you know, the home bridge, whatever the thing is that's on the Apple TV, presumably, that runs the home kit software. Yeah, it's kind so of like I, your home architecture, isn't it, you've up- upgraded? Yeah, but why should that affect everybody else? Surely if they're not on the most up-to-date update, it's them that should be affected, not the person who is on the most up-to-date update? Yeah, I'd agree. I'd agree with that statement. They, they should just get a message going, your device needs updating to, you know, access this home. Done. Yeah, exactly. And they're not getting that. Just It just goes, it doesn't even give any any feedback particularly about what's wrong. It just will not switch bulbs on and off. Whereas if I flip into the Hue app, it's instant as usual. So this is really bad. That's not good because I'm trying to move everything into the home app. So I've just got one place to do everything in the house. Yeah, I'm not sure it's a good idea. It's, it's fragile. Yeah, some more work required. Let's see what they uh, bring in a few weeks at WWDC. Anyway, should we fire in at the news and talk about some more broken things? Yeah, go on then. So text is broken on Android. What's this one? Well, it's a bug that's affecting text messages between iPhone and Android users. People are seeing it on Reddit. It's a story in 9to5Mac. Android user, text sent from an Android user to iPhone users are erroneously adding an extra digit to the phone number. So they're being unable to complete just standard text messages. I mean, it sounds like an Android bug more than an iPhone bug, but... You know, they should play nicely together at the most basic part of this for SMS messaging. Wow, that's not good, is it? Like, yeah. But, but surely that, like, texting is a solved problem. We've had it for 30 years. Why is it yeah. Why is it a problem now? Well, it, I'm, I'm just reading further on. It's the iPhone inserting a plus symbol to respond to the Android user's text that's happening. So it causes the messages app or the carrier to assume the message is coming from an international phone and therefore won't send the message. Uh, again, this is dreadful. <laughs> wow. It's not good. It's definitely not no, good, is it? It's just, yeah. I don't know what to say. I'm embarrassed, I think. Yeah, well, you, you would hope that bugs would get less, particularly coming up to WWDC that we're coming to, and you know we're going to get all the new versions of the software across the platforms, and yet they still seem to be as, introducing as many bugs as they're solving, if they're solving any sometimes, I wonder about. I mean, obviously they must be. When you when we get our updates, we get all this reams of patch notes about this security bug has been fixed or that's happened and stuff like this just blows my brain. I do wonder whether Apple should be releasing their new OS every year. Can we not just have more incremental updates, please? Because like you say, as soon as you get it solid, we're then into the next one and here we go again. Yeah, and this is, you know, back in the day, Snow Leopard and all these things where they would have a consolidation year, which they'd still give it a new name, but really they were just working on all the bugs and everything and maybe just a new feature as opposed to lots of new features. I think we're at the point in the evolution of, well, all the mobile operating systems and certainly the Mac, that it is just evolution. It's certainly not revolution at this point. And they should just be making sure things are solid. I mean, this used to be the way. Snow Leopard, Mountain Lion, solid operating systems you know they they were reliable you could use them for work you wouldn't see the bugs you wouldn't see the errors and to be fair on the mac at least you don't get so many of these bugs i don't think at least i don't come across them quite so much awful system settings aside i think it's been a lot more stable whereas stuff like this on a fairly fundamental thing for your phone it should be able to make calls send texts if nothing else that's what your phone should be able to do and if it's unable to do that regularly reliably then you've got an issue on your hands 
Do you not think, though, that making calls and sending texts are the things that people do the least now on their phones? Because well, we, we don't. We, we really use them as internet communicators was what it was pitched at in the original iPhone intro. And whilst I send iMessages, they're, they're obviously just data. And most people are on WhatsApp. I'm not. But, you know, most people are doing that. They're not actually sending fundamental text messages, are they? And how many people actually make phone calls? People still do, though. And if you're billing it as a phone, and I agree, it's an internet communicator, increasingly so these days. I think it was Mike Hurley said in, in this week's upgrade that if you ask somebody to pass the phone, pass me my phone, you're not going to reach for the sort of cordless handset or the wired handset that's sort of in your house. You're going to look for your mobile phones, pass over to them. And that's true. But at the same time, these are fundamental features. Calls and texts are fundamental features. True. And like I say, hasn't really moved on, so should just work. Yeah, I agree. Let, we can move on, though. And let's talk about a little story I found in Wired about... This is follow-up. A few years ago here in the UK, there was a, an act passed through Parliament called the Regulatory Investigatory Powers Act, RIPA. And everybody said it would take a few years for it to sort of come into any sort of effect, and we'd all kind of forgotten about it. But it's beginning to come to light, some elements of RIPA, that I find slightly disturbing, actually. The article that's been found in Wired is effectively asking internet service providers to keep a record of people's connection records. So what this would mean, it's for 30 days, so there is a time limit on this in many cases. But this is being called a snooper's charter, where your ISP may be required to deliver what's what, not exactly what you were looking at on what websites, but the fact that you visited those websites at all, or that you accessed an app on your iPhone, and that connected to the internet. I find this a little bit disturbing, i got to say. Yeah. Why do we need this? I guess so we can identify identify criminal rings, child pornography, and all the usual things that are trotted out. And don't get me wrong, there is a place for things like this. You know, understanding what people are looking at before they're planning mass murders or you know various horrendous acts, I can I can kind of get behind it. But as we've talked about before, I, where this ends and where the technology begins is is deeply disturbing. This to me is going into the great fall, firewall of China side of things rather than preserving people's privacy or preserving their, you know, the, the assumption is you're innocent until proven guilty. Recording everybody's internet records is absolutely presuming that you're guilty and you're doing something dodgy and the government's going to, or the police are going to come and look at it at some point. Yeah. yeah. Do they need to know I've been on the BBC every day for the last month and I check the news or I go and look at the Formula One or I just, I just don't know, what do you do with all that data? Because surely the the data set you're going to end up with is going to be so huge. Well, it is huge. But imagine, and we know how good our government is at keeping hold of this kind of stuff, that there's a breach to this and criminal or spammers or other you know, machine learning type entities can be pointed at it. The picture they're going to be able to build up on an individual person within society is going to be incredibly accurate. I mean, we know what Amazon and Facebook can do with this kind of information. Once the government get hold of it, and you can join that up to your shopping records or whatever else, this is just—it's a panacea for being able to profile people down to them. You know, the instant of everything that they do. Yeah, I don't like it. I, I'm starting to worry about the people making our technology laws lately. You want to track all my data. You want to not have end-to-end -end encryption. Uh, what's going on here? Yeah, it is, it's, there's a, a disturbing picture beginning to emerge, isn't there? And the usual argument, if you're not doing anything wrong, then that, then that's fine. It, it That doesn't wash. It's, you know, it's, we're, we don't live in Orwell, well, we don't think we live in Orwell society, but you see things like this coming along, and, you know, we're not a million miles away from the thought police, are we? No, we are not. No, we are not. We are get, 
get my words out properly. We know we are not a million miles away from that. And we are, yeah, we are ending up in 1984, but it maybe it'll be 2024. Maybe he was just out by a few, by about 40 years. Yeah, I, I mean the the irony between people joyously giving it, handing it over to Google and handing it over to Facebook and their applications is one thing, but actually your government taking it is 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 almost more disturbing. I think. Yeah, like I say, I'm worried what they do with it, and probably secondarily, will they actually delete it after 30 days? Yeah, well, that's part of the problem, isn't it? I mean, it's an interesting article. It's worth having a read through, and if you have got time exhaustively, you know, Wired actually talked to the internet service providers to ask them what they were going to do with this, and eight of the nine companies they approached didn't even bother responding to Wired about this. Only Talk Talk replied to say what they were going to do with this a request for comment. And they just said, "I'm going to meet. We're going to meet our obligations under UK law." So the rest of them are just ignoring that this that this is the thing they're going to have to do, and they're just presumably going to pass all this information on. Hmm. Should we move on? Yeah, it's depressing, isn't it? Should we move on? Yes. Do you want to tell us about some software updates? Yeah, very minor. So iOS 16.5 and Etel is now out. So it's your iPhone, your iPad, your HomePod's got an update as well. Your watch has got an update. The Mac's got an update. And it hasn't brought a lot. All it's brought is really the one thing people might notice is in the news app, you now get sports tabs. You get all the sports stuff separated out. And for those of you on your iPhone, your iPad, you might notice actually now when you have the icons at the top to go back and things, they made them more of a button looking shape than what they were before. Where I think they were just the glyphs without like a round around them, if that makes sense. So there's some minor visual changes I noticed. But other than that, there's not a lot in 16.5. Um, but Slightly after it came out, I think they then announced that actually we're now going to have set lists in Apple Music and concert discovery in Apple Maps. So that, that was quite a nice little addition. I think that was all server-side, though, so it wasn't part of the OS per se. It was more already there, and they were just waiting to flick the switch. Have you taken a look at this? So I didn't know about the sports tab. There's a YouTube channel I follow who goes through every update and shows you exactly where the changes are. And he, he highlighted this sports thing. So I went to look for my sport, MotoGP. It doesn't appear in the sports list. Wow. <laughs> it's not that hard to do. We've got the internet. Millions of people watch motorcycle racing, superbikes, MotoGPs, you know, enduro, pick your, pick your flavor. To just ignore this whole category of motorsport is just, it always flabbergasts me that it's a thing. Whereas if you're a football fan, a cricket fan, American football fan, or a baseball fan, or a Formula One fan, your needs are very well catered for. Yep. My needs are really well catered for. So I'm sorry that's not in there. It, you'd have thunk that wouldn't be a big, big ask to to add but maybe it's on the list i guess and they're working their way through it well it whenever looking through sports it's never been a thing it drives me slightly crazy actually that it's not supported in any way by apple it's just like they ignore it's a thing uh it's funny if i like stories in apple news i occasionally get you for, for people who like motorsport look at this and i'll get world rally championship or i'll get formula one but i'll never get motorcycling yeah and uh, it's, mm. it's a whole data set they know nothing about by the sounds of it and they don't care about either as a thing. So anyway, but more interesting, I thought, was the set list thing. And Apple Music set list is just something that they should support. Spotify have always supported stuff like this. If you go to a gig, you can look up the next day and you can see what that artist you know, sang at that gig at that point. And that's terrific. You know, I went to see The National with my daughter a few years ago. I more or less got back home, fired up Spotify, and there was the whole set list that The National played as I got in the house. That's really cool. That is cool, because if you want to remember the order they came in and you can't, you can just go look up. It, it seems like a no-brainer, so it's good they've done it. I didn't know if Spotify had this, but I'm not surprised Spotify have got a few things ahead of Apple here. 
Yeah, well, it's well ahead of Apple. And maybe cycle paths will come to maps as well at some point. You never know. But this is good. It's good that it's appearing in maps for where the concerts are going to be too. So this is all just information that should be surfaced as part of a, a fairly aware, you know, mapping service, music service. And I think, you know, Apple classical aside, they've got a long way to come still with a lot of that. We've talked about this before with the social aspect of music. I think maybe they got so burned by ping that they're just a bit scared to go near it again. But, you know, it's good that they're finally getting these kinds of things. Yeah, agreed. And there's so much they could do to every app. And in some ways, I think we talked about this before, it'd be better if some of their apps were run by a small indie shop because you'd probably get more frequent updates than the big behemoth. And I do wish they'd uncouple the apps, kind of like this, from the S updates and just drop features when they're ready, like an indie developer would. And I think we'd get a lot more value out of it. So it's it's all good. I found it quite interesting. I had a quick look through it. I liked it. And then later on in the week, we then got, iOS 16.6 beta, so rumoured possibly to be the last big version of iOS 16. I downloaded it, I've installed it, and there's literally zero differences that I've managed to spot, and I haven't really seen anything pop up. The only one that, that has been mentioned is that in iMessage, there'll be now be contact key verification. Now, I don't 100% know the tech behind this, but this is supposedly to make sure that nobody's safe with yourself and I, that nobody's intercepted our conversation. I am actually talking to Rod and I'm not talking to somebody pretending to be Rod. So it'll be interesting to see what that means. This is, I think, aimed more at celebrities and people that have got more more to risk or are a target online. But it was something they announced last WWDC and is, I think, the final feature to really drop in iOS 16. Revisiting a previous story about the UK and two-factor encryption and things like that, end-to-end encryption rather i wonder if this will be something else that apple will have to you know chuck out in 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 the world where they're not allowed to do this kind of stuff in the uk i mean i agree that it's good you know man in the middle attacks that a device gets taken away from you and it's somebody else trying to impersonate the other person you're talking to on the other end and you want to absolutely confirm it i think this is a good thing i seem to remember this was part of their overall announcement when they upgraded the security of of icloud anyway when they did do this so i'm glad that it's coming along Seems a bit odd and arbitrary beta to stick it into, but, you know, good. Yeah, I guess there's some technical stuff they've been working on in the background, and this is when it's ready to come out. But they've done a lot with iCloud in the last year, if you think about it. Obviously, this verification piece is coming. They did the feature so that you could turn off accessing your iCloud data through through iCloud.com, so you could only get it on a device. They've done the bit where you've got security keys to authenticate your account, and you have that piece of hardware, which I've done. And they've done all the encryption, haven't they, of all the wider iCloud apps as well. So they've done loads on the iCloud front this year, I think, to be fair to them. Just things that most people, you know, like my wife or my children, never notice, but they're actually a lot more secure now for it. So I I think it's good. I agree. Anything that makes it more secure overall is definitely a a laudable thing. Again, we've got nothing to hide, but having the security is, is, is a good thing for your children, for your family, for your friends, for all those, you know, trusted conversations that you've got going on. I don't think it's a bad thing that you always ratchet up the security thing. It's interesting at work. Uh, our pensions provider for the university superannuation scheme was hacked and all of our details identifiable went in the hack. So you think that's every academic, everybody over a particular grade in the university scheme across the United Kingdom. Those details have been stolen. So we've our, the only recommendation is but we don't think your passwords have been hacked, but that's your pension scheme that's potentially going to... But more than that, think of what you know just from that detail. You know, everybody in that scheme is a, you know, works for a university or in higher education in some way, shape, manner, or form. You know their name. You know certainly their postcode. You know other people in that organization that you're going to do it. And then you take that leaked data and you add it to some other database of leaked past. And then you know, ah, that person there is also involved in a Google attack, was involved in a Facebook attack, was involved in this. And being able to link this stuff together... 
having fundamental security at a level like this you can trust who you're speaking to is so important in this world where we're all getting these breaches all the time i completely agree and like you say it's not just one breach that happens it's taking breach data from multiple breaches and stitching it together and then like you say you've suddenly got a profile on somebody and you know you know all their passwords their usernames their date of birth their personal address and it can then make yeah it then makes another attack quite straightforward yeah it really does Oh, well, another exciting Bohr news story that's going to terrify us all. Do you want to tell us a bit more about the headset and what John Gruber's got to say? Uh, so this was just me that I was thinking, because we're going to be having quite a lot this year at WWDC, so that's Apple's Worldwide Developer Conference. It's on the 6th of June, so in a couple of weeks. And John Gruber of Daring Fireball was just commenting on how they're going to pack all this in. Because if you think we're going to get a new version of iOS, iPadOS, that's pretty much a lock. Probably a new version of macOS. There's rumoured to be a massive update to watchOS. And then probably tvOS may, may get a mention, may not, but there's probably something in there. There'll be maybe a bit on developer and, and all that other stuff and some videos. How are they going to then fit in going, here's a whole new thing, such as a headset, an OS, a developer story, and maybe a Mac to go on the top of that. You know, there's talk of obviously getting the MacBook Air 15-inch and then a maybe a Mac Pro announcement, who knows. So it just seems like a lot to pile in. Now, I wonder, we've got two weeks to go where there'll be a few more little announcements, like we've just had the set list piece we just talked about and the I think we've got it coming up. There's some, some new Beats headphones that have just dropped. So they're obviously clearing a few of the little things out of the way. But I think really what Gruber was getting to is if we've got all this new stuff coming, we're probably going to end up learning about lots of it after the event because the event may announce a tentpole feature, but actually the detail will come out later. Or there just won't... There will be lots of things that just aren't even mentioned in the keynote because it's going to be quite rushed. It seems odd to me that that they've got to pile everything into one one keynote. And actually, why wouldn't they do more videos like they've done more recently, like when the MacBooks dropped back in the first quarter? And they just put a video up announcing the MacBooks as if they would at an event, but just went live on the day. I think that's quite a nice way of doing it. Whereas they, I don't know, it still feels like we're getting stuck in the old rut of everything's got to be announced at WWDC. Why, why can't we just space that out a little bit? Yeah, and Gruber says in his post that Apple only likes keynotes to run for two hours, and certainly no longer than two hours, other than one that went for two hours 25 when they just had the beats and the Apple Music integration, and I can't say his name, Jimmy Iovine on stage doing stuff, and I think they had Dr. Dre featured in that one, and they used to do a music act, and used to do all sorts of things, and it's a lot tighter now, and you even... With the new Tyser format, you sometimes feel they're rushing through it and there's little bits that have to go into the State of the Nation, which is the, the, the conversation that comes after the main keynote. So I agree. Releasing a major product, if you think how long the iPhone project, product announcement took, it took a long time. So did the watch, so did the iPad. You want to give that space to settle in. You know, releasing a headset, which everybody's a bit, we don't know what this is for. You know, we've got VR headsets before now and we're still not 100% sold on the use cases they really need to sell this to developers to make developers go out and potentially drop 3k on one of these things where you could go and buy an oculus one for i don't know even know how much they are somewhere between 200 and 1500 quid i think based on what we've talked about before is a bit of an ask so you want to give that the space you've got to convince them even with a reality distortion field which they don't have anymore since steve isn't with us it's it's a hell of a thing to say right three grand on this we might be producing cheaper ones. Here's all the reasons you're going to want to do it. Here's all the APIs you're going to need to have it. There's a huge amount there for them to get through, isn't there? And two hours plus iOS updates, plus macOS updates, plus potential hardware, like you say, it's a lot. I think it is a lot. And 
I remember that keynote in 2015 that was two hours and 20 odd minutes. It was not a good keynote. It was just too long. It was very waffly. Jimmy Irvine wasn't the right person to present it at all. But what, what I'd like to see from Apple, if we are having a new platform, why can't we have the, as you say, sit back, settle in for an hour or so while they're telling, giving you the story of why they've done it. We all remember the iPhone video, the iPad video. You know, Steve Jobs was sat on a couch on his iPad scrolling through and took us on a story of why they'd come up with it, why it was the size it was. And I quite enjoy those. You don't, you don't get many opportunities for that, do you? Like to actually bring a new platform, you know, to birth a new platform to the world and have a story around it. So I am concerned it's all going to be a bit rushed. And actually, I think, why wouldn't they just let it breathe a little bit? I give it a bit of space. In the modern world, you can drop a video a day. You could do something the week before. You could have a special event a couple of weeks later. But equally, you'll get better press then because you're spacing it out. We've had such a glut of tech press in the last few weeks, if not a few months. Then wouldn't it be better for them to actually be in the news more often rather than having one big surge for a week and then nothing for ages i don't know wouldn't they be better to space it out i'm kind of a gruber i think what they'll do if there is this uh, um, there is a lot of smoker in this so it seems likely we're gonna get this headset at this point i would cut other than the major new things for mac os ios ipad os watch os tv os and stick them in state of the union and talk about oh we've got a great api that does this or, or whatever and just give it the space that it needs within that i see what you're saying about you could dribble this out a bit and get a sort of a bigger long tail on the cat if when, when you're announcing these things. But that's not their style. They do the big thing. You get all the various videos that go through WWDC thereafter. And let's face it, the people who watch the keynote don't care about a new API for iCloud or something like that. What they want to see is the new shiny hardware. And let's face it, if there's a new headset, that's the new shiny. And maybe a MacBook and then talk about, oh, this year Messages is going to have, I don't know, new Memoji or something, something that the rest of us won't care about. But a new a new thing is more interesting to talk about than an API or something, because that's it's a developer conference. That could go to State of the Union. So I think they could do it with careful planning. And that's probably why we are seeing you know, we're going to talk about it later with the new accessibility things that they've pre-announced for this and the new Beats headphones and, and those new things and whatever else comes in the next two weeks. Yeah, true. I'm, I'm curious to know, are we going to get much in the next two weeks? I wonder if, if they are going to be clearing the decks a bit more. I don't know. I do vividly remember leading up to the WWDC where the iPad was announced that there was a picture of the new iPhone, would it have been the 4? It was the squared off one, I think. It was the iPhone 4. And there was a picture of somebody's desk with an iPhone 4 on it. And there was an iPad in the bottom right-hand corner. And everybody just ignored the iPad. They thought it was just a screen lying around, but it was actually the iPad. So you never know what's going to leak out. Yeah, true. That is true. And we, we still haven't got many leaks, really. We don't know any more two weeks away than we did a month away. So it's going to be interesting. Well, we do. We, we're almost certain we're getting a headset. We're almost certain we're getting a 15-inch MacBook here. The Mac Pro rumors have gone away, which is I also find quite interesting, actually. I wonder if the M3 Apple Studio, when it comes along, will be the Mac Pro. We'll see. But there was a bit of smoker in that, and now that's vanished too. So I think in terms of hardware, it's set. It's going to be a headset, and it's going to be a 15-inch MacBook here. And then it'll be... The, and software is easier to hide, isn't it? You can hide easily within software because they don't need anybody to ramp up production for that, particularly in these days when you're not getting disks printed. So I'm not surprised there's not been that many more links. Yeah, yeah, true. And I see what you're saying about the Mac Pro. But the Mac Pro, ironically, is the one they've already pre-announced that's coming. So it'll be, it'll be interesting to see where we go. It will be. Should we move on? Yep. So just a little hardware feature. And I noticed The Verge and 95 Mac have been doing a little bit about this this week, about Wi-Fi is great and all, but what you really want for a secure, stable connection is, is Ethernet or Ethernet, depending on how you say it. 
I'll go with Ethernet. Ethernet's a great feature. It's lovely to be able to plug in a cable, see a light come on and know that the damn thing works. Whereas Wi-Fi you can struggle with. It's a bit odd what's going on here. And it's just a little feature in 9to5Mac about you losing speed. And they've got some nice graphs about, you know, various countries around the world. If you just rely on Wi-Fi, how badly or how well you do based on the sort of Wi-Fi you've got in those countries in general, I guess. And the UK is near the bottom of this list, which I just thought was amazing. Yeah, so it's not good that UK is towards the bottom. I'll be honest, I do Ethernet in my iPad, my Mac. So when I come to the studio display, I've got a, an adapter in the back of it to go to Ethernet. It's plugged in. So as soon as I plug the display in, even though the device will send the Ethernet through the display, I'm Etherneted in and, and I don't use the Wi-Fi because I just don't want it to drop out. I spend a lot of time on Teams and it's just one. For me, I think it's one less thing that could get in the way if that makes sense and i've tried to ethernet in a lot of things around the house like the tv the playstation etc so they're off the wi-fi and they can hopefully gobble up as much internet as they can get yeah i'm with you where possible if i've got a plug coming out the wall to ethernet i will that i record this with it plugged into a cable a cat 5e cable to back to my router although since we've hopefully fixed our audio issues pretty much i think that's slightly less essential than it used to be but for video conferencing stuff like that you do want a nice stable connection Yes, and I was going to follow up on the audio next week. We're trying something different this week with my audio where I plug my microphone straight into my Mac and not into my screen as we think that was causing us some clipping issues. Yeah, there was that. And I think last week sounded better. We should have done this in follow-up, really, not halfway through the news. But we could hear your air conditioning where you were, which was lovely. Yeah, sorry about that one. But I'm, I'm still learning. Hey, we recorded a show in a, tr- in a Premier Inn. You can't go wrong. <laughs> We did, we did. Okay, so wide, wide connections, and I think we're all in agreement. Wide it where you can, or provide, try and get good Wi-Fi where you can't. And it's a tricky one, isn't it? And Wi-Fi is always changing. There's always a new standard out. We're on 6E at the moment. The women have been making Wi-Fi easier, but they just <laughs> seem to have gone back to making it complicated again. It is complicated, but the wired standards can be complicated as well. You know, from Cat5 to Cat6 cable to Cat7 and UTP and all the, all the various standards around that too. And then... If you're into switches and things, are you on one gig Ethernet? Are you on two and a half? Are you on 10 gig? Do you use SFP fiber connections to into your switch and all the rest of it? That can be quite complicated as well. So it, it's not as straightforward as that. But if, it, if you want raw speed, plug a cable in is, is, is the end of the argument, I think. Yep, agreed. What have we got next then? We've got what's this Android users switching to iPhones. Yep, so Android users switching to iPhone is at a a five-year high, according to 9to5Mac, and some customer research that's been going on. Shown in the chart below, 15% of new iPhone users report having an Android device as their last smartphone. That's a 4% increase from what CIRP saw last year, and 5% higher than the data seen in 2020 to 2021-21. 2% of new iPhone owners say they came from a basic phone, other were or were first-time iPhone owners, and 83% previously had an iPhone. It's not a huge increase, but I think, you know, Apple will take it. They'll take people switching to iPhone rather than away. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it, that yeah, the stakes getting even higher. I wonder what's pulling them over. I wonder if it's consistency. You know, you buy a device, and we know, and we've talked about it on this podcast, it's good for at least three years, but and actually probably is good up to five or six, as we're seeing just with the iPhone 7s and things beginning just to wash out of the product line now. Whereas unless you buy a Pixel device historically you haven't had that longevity of the device and we've talked about samsung's and their swelling batteries but software wise two years in the android world is good i think for most devices that aren't a samsung a google pixel or maybe a OnePlus or something like that they're not getting anything like that longevity of software so 
people want a consistent experience people want an iphone they can rely on or a phone they can rely on not an iphone they can rely on and the iphone gives them that yeah i can see it i've always been in the iphone camp i've always enjoyed the software updates and it is nice like when you give one say to your parents or some family members you give them a slightly older iphone you go it'll be good for a few years you'll get some free updates on it it will keep moving forwards so i yeah i can see your point of view on it i must confess our organization which just got rid of androids again when we bought another company so we're, we're, we're probably helping increase that number a little bit if it was measured in the uk because we, we only do iphone only at where i work that's fair enough. I mean, you can understand the other side of it where you just need cheap devices for your employees. And if you're a charity or something like that, you don't have a lot of money and you can get a good enough experience, particularly if you've got some sort of decent purchase plan because you are a charity or something like that. Then I, I can see the other side of it as well. But we know that comes with its own attendant risks for security and updates and backups and you know broken things and device management and all these other things that Apple phones actually do rather well and Apple devices do rather well. So... It's, it's chicken and egg if you don't think about the whole situation. No, I'd agree with that. Yep. Anyway, interesting. Moving on, I often feel like we're shills for Logitech. We're always giving them little bits and pieces about how great they are. Some you know, some device we've bought that is theirs, be it a keyboard or a case for an iPad or something like that. But here's an example of Logitech doing the right thing. They have teamed up with iFixit, who are a well-known online brand for offering aftermarket parts or repairable parts for all manner of devices, actually. And Logitech are going to bring some of their devices to iFixit so you can fix your mouse or whatever the issue may be. I think this is great. No, I think this is really good. And it's kind of following Apple, isn't it? Apple will partner with somebody so you can do repairs with Apple. And now Logitech are allowing some repairs to iFixit. It's, I think it's really good. I think, I, I'm going to buy in, I think Logitech are doing a better job than Apple. Logitech aren't demanding you, you give them 1,500 quid's worth of credit card for them to send you a massive tool case of things to change the battery in your phone. I think, I agree with you. I think the implementation is much better, but they're following in the general ethos of what Apple have done by at least ticking the box to, to allow repairs. Now, I think it's really good, and they've started with their mice, which seems to make sense, because lots of people have got the Logitech MX Master. It's been a big hit, and they've had a few iterations of it. So it's great that I think you can go back to the Series 2 MX Master mouse and you'll be able to repair that, the 3 and the 3S. So I think that's really good. And more, yeah, more, and it more follows, companies should do it, shouldn't they? And partner with like somebody like iFixit that knows this. This seems like a... Maybe this is a growth area for somewhere like iFixit. I, I'd go along with it. I think iFixit are a good company. If you ever watch any of their videos and you have your brain slightly blown by how you would take a screen off an iMac to change the hard drive or something in it, they do the hard miles to fix this kind of stuff. And then on the other side, you've got, and I will knock Apple about this, gluing more and more components into their phones to make it harder to repair without the right tools. And then, you know, we, we said at the time, it felt very grudging of Apple to come along and actually offer the tool that you would do this with properly. They really don't want you to do this. They really don't. Whereas this collaboration with Logitech, and we talked about the repairable headphones from Fairphone last week, that's the right way to do it. You know, here are the components. You don't need, you know, some massive heat gun to take this thing off. Here's just a specialized tool you need to do it. It's going to be fairly cheap. It's going to be within your own ability to replace it rather than 1,500 quid worth of tools and I lost the spanner out of it. Then, you know, Apple are charging your credit card for that 1,500 quid. This feels better. And I, for all of our pursuit for thinness and maybe general praise for Apple and the increase in the better hardware that we get these days compared to what we used to have and it is reliable don't get me wrong or has been in most cases butterfly keyboard accepted that the, they're definitely fixing unfriendly whereas initiatives like this are fixing friendly and there is a distinction there for me yeah no i understand what you're saying 
I think it, yeah, I think it makes sense. And I've got a few Logitech things, as we've said, so I'm, I'm quite excited by this. I hate repairing stuff, so if I can get a nice, easy kit to do it and it costs me, I don't know, £20 or something, I'd be very happy with it. Yep, I agree. Shall we talk about one of the worst products I've ever seen, ever? Yeah, you sent me this. This is interesting. This is interesting. So I came across this because I'm a fan of Marcus Brownlee and he reviewed this pair of headphones and it's a 20 minute video it's well worth your time to watch it just for his reaction at the very start of the video when he just takes them out of the box actually so what we've got here are dyson the company that makes mostly hoovers occasionally hair dryers and you know the odd blade for cleaning your hands or drying your hands within a bathroom which by the way i think are deeply unhygienic you know you've just washed your hands and you stick your hands in amongst the into this pit where everybody else's hands have been as well and you sort of brush off the sides where everybody's hands have been how well have they washed their hands you've got water building up on there anyway that's a whole different thing these are some dyson headphones and they're not svelte nice little earbuds type headphones they're massive over the head headphones with built-in fans inside of the ear cups effectively and and this is the kicker they come with a bit of plastic you can stick into the front of the headphones that actually now once it covers your mouth and nose i'll say passes by your mouth and mouth and nose with the idea that slightly cleaner air sucked from the ear cups is wisped past your mouth and your nose did you watch the video so i did watch the video marcus brownlee is excellent as always i do love his work and what his team does so i, I did enjoy it actually and I did go and have a look around afterwards because I thought, I haven't seen many videos from him lately because obviously there's not been much in the Apple sphere to have from him. But this is just a really bizarre product. I mean, it makes my AirPods Max look tiny, you know, because you've got these massive headphones that really stick out. You know, you look like you're going to take somebody's eye out if you walk too close to them. And he said, the, so it's cost about $1,000. And he said that the headphones were okay. It was kind of his summary. They weren't fantastic, but they, they, they weren't the worst one. And then you put this loosely visor thing across your mouth slash nose. It's A, the, it looks horrific, but B, it's not replacing a mask. You can wear it with a mask as well. So it feels like they've gone and done this, but they've only done half a job. They, do you know what I mean? Either go all in, I think, or don't do it at all. It just seems a very strange product that this isn't going to last, surely. I would hope not. I mean, Marquez does a really, really good job because he actually gets a doctor to talk about this with him. And the conclusion they come to is, A, this is no replacement for a mask. It doesn't, you know, you still get smells. There is nothing, it's not filtering anything out over this bit of plastic that just is passing by your mouth and nose. But what it's actually doing is it's drying the air that it's filtering in front of, not filtering, passing in front of your face. So it's actually drying out your mucous membranes, which makes it more likely you're going to catch something when you've got one of these on, in front of your face. It is just the most bizarre, awful product I think I've seen in some time. And I don't think it does the Dyson <coughs> brand any good at all. Here's a theory that it's kind of a loss leader. There's no such thing as bad press kind of thing. Oh, look at us, we're in headphones and stuff now too. I just think this is A, a bizarre product, but B, possibly a dangerous one at that. Yeah, I don't disagree with any of that. I just, I'm amazed they even launched this because they, they had the whole thing about the car and they pulled the car at like the 11th hour, you know, and yet they allowed this to get through. Yeah, and this isn't a reaction to the pandemic. They were about to release this before the pandemic. Yeah, maybe they should have released it in the pandemic and they might have actually got some traction. I don't want these to have traction. These shouldn't be allowed. This, it's too ugly a product to survive, frankly. Yeah, it's not going to survive, is it? It's, and it's pointless. 
and, and they're as he says they're very average headphones they weigh so much that the second you turn your head if you're sat at your desk they're fine but the second you turn your head or go gap you're very conscious of the weight of these things on your head because not only are they large noise cancelling headphones they contain fans in the ear cups yeah yeah why would yeah that's a good point actually i forgot about that he mentioned the fan piece at the end of the video didn't he and so yeah you're listening to your music and you've got a fan blown in your ear at the same time yeah it's just it's got to have a fan because it's a dyson thing but oh my gosh what a terrible product yeah i quite like dyson products i'm really disappointed with this yeah well and my my opinion of dyson changed for reasons that i won't go into on this podcast because we'll make us enemies anyway moving on other headphones out are there are new beats headphones have you seen these these ones with the transparent case these ones with the transparent case yeah so i think these are quite interesting headphones they're they're beats which basically means that they're apple the 95 article on them says that their hands-on review of the beat studio buds plus is what they're called are the transparent airpods we wish apple would make these look really interesting, and the last Beats Fit, I think they were, are, were extremely well-reviewed as well. I find it really odd that they don't always put the H1 or H2 chips inside of these to make them pair better with Apple devices. Okay, so has it not got that? No. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's you sorry, I was, just, I was just reading... I, I, like you, I think I just assumed it would have. Why wouldn't it have? Even if it had last year's H1 chip in it, why, why wouldn't it do that? They look fantastic. Let's just cover off the aesthetics. I think they look awesome. And I, I quite like that Apple have kept the Beats brand going. And they've, I, I don't know, I'd, I'm curious to know how much they share between Beats and their own AirPods division. Are they one division? Or are they two divisions pitted against each other? Or do they meet in the middle and, and share some tech and designs? I don't know. But I think they look fantastic, actually. And it's, in a way, quite nice to see something that's not just a white box with some AirPods in it. Yep, yeah, I'm with you. I like the aesthetics of them. The suspicion, that's not a suspicion, it's probably a fact, that this is to improve compatibility with Android devices. If you've got more space for different Bluetooth gubbins, it supports things like Google FastPair as opposed to Apple's equivalent of that. So it gives Android users a sort of a, a gateway drug into the Apple market, really, that they've got Beats headphones. Some people really like the way Beats headphones sound. The review is that, of this is that noise cancellation is significantly better than the Beats that were there before. So I think this is good. It's good that Android users have got quality headphones sold to them by apple that they're able to pick from as well you know because the ones you've got over your head are probably slightly incompatible with most android devices they'll work as basic bluetooth headphones but i bet you'll lose a lot of the features that you get if you're an apple user so well done to beats for giving android users this kind of choice i wonder how many android users are buying apple owned beats but then i wonder how many people know apple owned beats that's a good question i don't know yeah, I'd be curious to know what their, you know, how many Beats products they sell and whether they're paired with a predominantly iPhone or predominantly an Android device. It'd be really interesting. But it must be significant because they've made the effort to integrate these into the Android community. Yep, and it's good to have more choice in the market, I think. So, uh, yeah, they, they finish it off by saying there's some Apple compatibility devices that it has got one-touch pairing, not the same as you'd have with an H2 chip. You can activate Hey Siri. This is on Apple devices. You can use Find My with them, which is good. They will get over-the-air updates and you'll get spatial audio, which is also good if you're into that kind of thing. I've got to say, I'm not feeling it. For Android, they support Google FastPair. They do audio switching between multiple Android devices, such as an Android and a Chromebook, which is pretty cool. They've got Find My Device, which is Google's equivalent of Find My. And the Beats app comes with product customization. I'm not sure what that means, but it means you can do your software updates and things like that too. Who's actually using Hey Siri on any of their headphones? Yeah, nobody should be using Hey Siri anywhere, as far as I'm concerned. Agreed. 
we shouldn't be saying it would probably trigger people's devices. I know. I thought about that after I said it, but people shouldn't really be using that at all. Yeah, switch it off. <laughs> Should we talk about some media? Let's go into media then. So what's up first? So Silo, I have continued to watch Silo. There's four episodes of it now. It's terrific. I'm really enjoying it. It's a bit slow, but that's okay. I often feel like there's a sort of breakneck pace through a lot of these kinds of things. It's definitely got a bit of the sort of young adult feel of like a Hunger Games or something about it, but I don't mind it. The, the performances are very good. The sets are very good. The scripts are good. The actors are excellent. So I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying it so much. I saw it on Kindle today. It was 99p for the book, which is called Wool. So I picked that up and I've started reading that today as well. So thoroughly enjoying the TV show. And the book seems good for the 43 pages I've read of it so far. So more silo, please, Apple. Cool. Okay. I need to add this onto the list. I think I'm waiting for a few more things to finish before I commit to another season because I'm still waiting for succession because I'm really, I've been really enjoying that. So, okay, no, it sounds good. I think Apple, they're doing all right, aren't they? They're, they're doing all right. Their batting average is pretty high. Yeah, mostly. I mean, there is the odd thing I've started and not stopped. For example, Big Door Prize, I haven't gone back to yet, even though I was quite enjoying it. It's one of those that will sort of finish off, and I think you're going to talk about it in a minute anyway. But it was there, quite enjoyed it. There was that thing like Shining Girls, I think it was called, with Elizabeth Moss in it, that was just dreadful. Couldn't get through the first episode. There was Hello Tomorrow, that was just dull, so I gave up on that as well. So they're doing better than a Netflix you know, I'll start a thing, I'll generally finish the episode, it's good enough to finish an episode, but there are still these sort of gems in amongst a, a high tidal mark of better than average, it's probably fair to say. Yeah, I think that's fair. Why don't I quickly finish off the big door price? So I, I have watched the season finale, I was a little disappointed. It was good, I enjoyed the whole thing, the whole premise of it, but it, it, it didn't wrap it up enough for me, if I'm honest. So I'll just leave it at that as you have not seen it yet. But basically it's going mm. to be, there's got to be another season. But I I would prefer a season to have a bit more closure, I think. Yeah, I think that's reasonable. You want you want some of the questions answered before you, you open the new ones up into the next season. That's, that's all. And if you leave a cliffhanger, that's okay too. I don't mind that. But you need some sort of resolution to move you on, I agree. I, it wasn't enough for me. And maybe I didn't watch, I, it was kind of something I just put on. It was half an hour, I'd watch over lunch enjoyed it i did generally enjoy it and it was something different that i wouldn't normally go for and i liked that it was only sort of half an hour 40 minutes per episode i think that was a, a positive because it was something like a little bite-sized tv show so i think that's why i stuck with it enjoyed the performances the, the audio picture quality all fantastic but i was just a little disappointed they didn't put enough of it wrap it all up into the nice bow at the end yeah i think that's reasonable not having seen the end yet but it's a bit lightweight, really. It's you know, it's not making me think a lot. It's just, as you say, it's a bit of a fluffy entertainment thing. And that's okay. I don't mind that from time to time. I don't always need to be sort of deep and meaningful. But, um, yeah, it's slightly disappointing. I'm a bit, a bit concerned now about going back to it. Uh, I'd love you to go back to it and watch it so that you can tell me that I'm wrong. Probably unlikely. You never know. I mean, it, uh, disturbingly, you've turned out to be quite right about Succession as I continue my gradual watch through that. I am enjoying that more and more. Brian Cox is fantastic. That's, that's all I've got to say. Yeah. Not dead of the stroke either, so that definitely helped. Oh, you were still on season one? Oh God, I'm, I'm only on episode eight. I, th- I think I'm of season one. They've just had a they just had a meeting in the desert with one of them getting trying out meth for the first time. So yeah, it's all going on in succession. You you got to stick with it. It's fantastic. I love it. Fair enough. Talking of Apple TV, they have announced this Killers of the Flower Moon, which is a new Martin Scorsese film with Leonardo DiCaprio, set in looks like 1920s America thereabouts. 
that's going to have a release at Cannes. I may have already had the release at Cannes. I think that's ongoing on at the moment. And it's kind of a limited cinema release before it's available on Apple TV Plus in a couple of months. Uh, watch the trailer. Looks very good. Looks very Scorsese, actually. Sort of gritty, crime-driven type thing. Yeah, I'm, I'm encouraged. Looks interesting. Yeah, same. I've watched the trailer. Looks fantastic. Love Scorsese film. Some quite big sets, I, I was thinking, because they had this, like, I don't know how much it's real, but massive wide shot of, you know, an old old town, in, you know, with hundreds of people in it and, and wooden buildings. So I'm curious to see the thing, actually, because I think it looks quite good. I'm not sure if I'd go to the cinema or whether I'll wait for it to drop. Yeah, I'll, I'll wait for it to drop. I'm not in a rush to go to the cinema, which is probably the wrong thing to say, but such is life. Yeah, I think you and I are in the same place here. We've done the Big Door Prize. Do you want to tell us a bit still? So still the Michael J. Fox film. I've It's out. I've watched it. It's a documentary on Apple TV+. Plus. Genuinely really enjoyed it. Really well done. Just interesting to have a view of the world. I don't know a lot about Parkinson's disease, but it was a very insightful film. And a big Back to Future fan, so and Team Wolf, I guess. So it was good, good to see it. But it, I thought he was super open, which was... I think that was good. I, th- I think he's probably done more for the Parkinson's disease through his fame to actually bring it to the wider people's attention i saw it was really interesting how he deals with it how his family deals with it but yeah very insightful into how he's a massive star and then got parkinson's but still carried on working on some things mm. yeah it's a horrible disease and you know it's unfortunate that a few celebrities have actually got parkinson's now like billy Connolly, for example also has parkinson's as well as prostate cancer and is beginning to suffer from it he's done a couple of documentaries in the uk as well all of which have been fairly compelling viewing, actually. He's been surprisingly open about his Parkinson's too, but I would say Michael J. Fox is probably the most famous person worldwide to have it, and it it is good to raise awareness of it in this way, and I am keen to watch it, I must say. So it's encouraging that it's worth watching. I I would recommend it. It was very quick. Like, it's an hour and a half long. It went very quickly. It's well edited, but just super, super interesting, so would recommend. Fair enough. I'm going to finish with a little thought about Citadel, which is Amazon Prime's Bond Light type thing. I've been trying to watch it. I'm on the third episode now, I think, and you know, good cast. I've talked about it before. I won't go into details again. Stanley Tucci's terrific in it, particularly. But the CGI is annoying me. It's such obvious CGI, and it's not great that it might actually put me off to such an extent. I might stop watching it. You sound like me when we were talking about For All Mankind, that the CGI put me off it a little bit because it just didn't look right yeah and the plot is what you'd expect it's like it's very bond light you know this happens oh there's a double cross or oh you know give him a phone and this will happen and, and I, the torch and yeah it's just not really it's not clicking with me i feel like i'm wasting my time watching it and then the cgi is just the deal breaker i think i still want to try it because some friends were recommending it to me over the weekend that they just thought it was some easy watching TV and maybe that's what I need to go and expect him from it I don't know yeah you know, again we said before easy watching is fine but occasionally you want to get your teeth into something and this isn't that okay move on to games yeah okay so I noticed you haven't put anything in the show notes this week for games so I'm suspecting this is all for me yeah I've not unless you want to talk about threes I've not really played any games this week no, I think we'll take threes as a given that you've played a bit of threes and we'll, we'll just, I'll talk about two games that I have played. So I've had the Steam Deck back out this week. I was looking for games that would be appropriate to play on it, really, just when I'm sitting out in the sun and I don't want to think about anything too hard. It's quite nice to, to have the Steam Deck and just try something. So two games I'd accumulated in my Steam library but not played an awful lot of are Dishonored, 
and Hard Space Shipbreaker. I'll talk about Dishonored first. So Dishonored is a game by a company called Arcane, who make software I, jewels, I think I'd call them. That It's a, an open-world game where there's a mystery and you need to get to the bottom of it, and how you go about that is entirely up to you. So you can use it as a stealth game, or you can go in all guns blazing, or you can just solve the puzzles, or however you want to go. And, you know, you can set a trap that makes a noise, that make, takes all the bad guys off to one area, and you don't need to deal with any of them. You can gain mystical powers to deal with them in another way if you want, or you can just... Bl- crash in through the front door and start shooting people if that's what you want to do. Or you can very stealthily work your way out of the building, taking people down and, and doing, you know, not actually causing any damage to anyone. It's a very clever game. It's very well done. A very compelling world. Quite impressed with it. Have you heard of this? I've heard of neither of these games. I was just looking at them as you were talking. Dishonored looks quite interesting because at one point it looks quite medieval and then I don't know what to call it, but there's some robot things with very long legs in one of the screenshots. So it looks a very interesting game. Yeah, it's it's an odd. They've built a parallel world, really. That sort of if if London had gone steampunk with magic, really, which is about as close a thing as I can describe it. It's it's really good. If you find a, a platform that you can play it on, I think it's on the PlayStation and the Xbox. It's certainly on Steam if you've got a Steam Deck or something like that, and Windows. There isn't a Mac port of it, unfortunately, but if you can get hold of it in some other way, it's worth doing so. Arcane are the company that made a sequel to this, Dishonored 2, and Deathloop, which I talked about playing way back at the beginning of the podcast. So they're a well-regarded software studio. We will ignore Redfall, that's just been released by them, which is dreadful. And, and very a character for Arcane. But yeah, this is good. Game from at least 2015, maybe a little before that. Worth a look if you, can, if you have the opportunity to do so. Okay, yeah, it looks interesting. And the second one is Hard Space Ship, Shipbreaker, which is, it's one of those games where you go to work, really, which are becoming increasingly popular. I think they call them dad core or something like that, where you've just given, you're given a job of work to do, basically, and you get on and do it. And in this one, you're given bits of old spaceship to break up and throw into a furnace, and you're in space while you do it. You've got to decide what tool you're going to do. You can't cut through some lines or things are going to explode. You need to put the various metals into the various furnaces, all the while in a spacesuit where you don't get squashed in between two bits of metal that you've cut up before, or they're bringing another one in, or there's quite a lot going on, and you need to manipulate yourself in space as well. So... It's just a bit of fun, really. Also quite an interesting world. Earth's destroyed. You need to get off it. The only way you can get off it is taking out a $200 million loan to become one of these shipbreakers, and you need to pay it back. And the way you pay it back is by recycling the ships properly. So, yeah, definitely a different premise. Fun little game. Worth a look again if you've got time. But of the two, I'd go for Dishonored if you were looking for some. But both of them run beautifully on the Steam Deck. I was just about to ask what you're playing this on because earlier in the week I did pass by the Steam Deck store and I was like, I wonder how much they are and what the lead times are. And both the cheapest Steam Decks are unavailable and out of stock and you can only buy the most expensive one at the moment, which I haven't done. But I was just curious whether you knew why they were out of stock because it seemed odd to me that they're suddenly having a drought because I thought they had got to a position now where they had production in a good place. I think they've just released them in more and more countries around the world and there's just more people consuming them. And it's being realised for the terrific device that it is. Yeah, I keep giving it the side eye. Just dive in. They're not going to release another one anytime soon. I'd say pick one up and you'll be able to play some of my recommendations or at least pretend you are and then play threes. I think I'm going to wait and see what Apple release before I spend any more money in the next three weeks. That's reasonable. And again, you know, that play date you waited so much for, I don't think has had that much action, has it? It's a nice clock to have on your desk, though. <laughs> have you not got quite an expensive watch in your wrist? Yeah. Yeah. Moving on. 
Moving on, main show, which I, I say this almost every week these days, will be short, I think. We've gone long on the news, and the odd short show is not a bad thing. So one of the features Apple announced for the main show when they did the software update earlier in the week, as we touched on earlier in the show, with some new accessibility features. And I just thought it was worth taking a little pause to appreciate and think about the accessibility features that Apple give us. Do you use any of the accessibility features in macOS or iOS at all? Not that I'm aware of, but I am always amazed every year with how much they do around accessibility, whether it's software, hardware. You know, there's so much they do, like with the AirPods and things, you can do things to help like, with your hearing. It always amazes me how much they invest in it and how well integrated they seem to be and the fit and finish is always very good. So now I don't use them, but I applaud the efforts that they do. How about you? Well, I definitely make the text bigger. As I've got older and I've struggled a little bit more to see the finest text, and I'm all right when I've got my reading glasses on, as I do on the podcast now, but if I've ever just looked at my phone and I'm about, I don't tend to wear my glasses, so I have made the text a little bit bigger. So that's one accessibility thing I definitely do. And did you see, I think it's right down the bottom of the press release, that in, sorry, I'm looking for it as we're talking, which is never good audio, but in, I think it's like Mail and various Finder on the Mac, you can now actually increase the the text size in those apps. I wonder if those apps were so hard-baked that it was actually a lot of engineering to make it so they could have dynamic text size. Yeah, it's a good thing, and I'm glad that it's supported elsewhere. It's very obvious when you come across an app that doesn't support something as simple as that, just making the text a bit bigger, because suddenly you're sort of back into this world of tiny little text. And if you're the kind of person that wants as much stuff on the phone screen as you can, or you're 17, like my daughter, then you have got it set to be the smallest possible thing. So I, I get it. You're probably in that boat. You don't. T- I see you wear glasses sometimes, but not all the time. Yeah, I wear glasses when I'm looking at the screen. I forgot to bring them down with me. I, I don't only need them. It's more for glare and headaches. But I do notice it when I haven't got them on, though. They've got they've got quite a weak lens in them. But I can feel feel this not quite right but i do generally have small small text but more recently i've been thinking i might need to start making this a bit bigger it's the age so I, my, my point of talking about this part of it was all of us probably need the accessibility in some way that even if it's just making the text a little bit bigger or the recently released update to airpods where you could get it customized to your hearing which is probably very good for people who have got tinnitus and other issues as well as that baked in at a very fundamental level of the OS are affordances like this to make healthy people who are beginning to have not a disability as such, but just the, the facts that come along with age or you know other, other things a lot easier to use on the devices, and that's good. But what Apple are even better at, I think, are things like voiceover, which is when it's speaking back to you, when the device is reading out what's going on on the screen, and voice control. So there is the basics of voice control, which we've all got, when you tap on your keyboard these days and you get a little microphone and you can dictate into the keyboard on device and it will translate what you're saying. And I got to say, my experience of voice control for this has been extremely good. If I have my hands aren't, if I'm chopping something in the kitchen and I want to write a text to somebody, I can tap this and I can read out to my phone what I wanted to do and it will translate that very accurately, including, I got to say, if you use this to dictate swear words, it does a far better job than me typing ducking on my iPhone. So I'm quite impressed for using it for that, if nothing else, that the, the accessibility of that voice control and, and dictation into your phone, I found to be really good. Yeah, I've never used yeah, really any of that, I don't think. I don't know why, and I don't even use that kind of thing in the car. You always just, I don't text when I'm driving. I, I just wait and, until I'm there and I pull over, whereas my wife will dictate quite a lot in the car play. Yeah, it's a good feature. But there's a couple of videos in the show notes as well. When you take this to the next level of what it's actually capable of, and I think they announced this with Catalina, 
the, the voice control of how you can control your Mac, your iPhone is really quite impressive. So if you turn these features on, on your iPhone, for example, and you drag your finger across the screen, it will describe to you what app you're actually dragging your finger across from top to bottom. If you enter the dock area, if you come out again and don't play it in case it starts playing a video, but you know, it, it it's, or will tell you what's in a row. So if you double swipe across the row that you're on, it will describe all the apps on that row. And then you double tap once you've got your finger over the app it is to launch it. And just for people who are partially sighted or blind, what an amazing convenience that must be to them that it is able to give you this description of that detail of what's going on in the app. And then you're into whether the app developer supports that or not. But I just think this is, must be incredibly beneficial for people that you know have that kind of disability. Yeah, yeah, you know, you're right. It's fantastic, isn't it? It really is. And then on the Mac, and again, I think they did this around the Catalina Times, was for people that have aren't able to use their hands or in a particular way, it will segment the screen into zones. And you can say zone one, do this, press this button, show numbers. So for example, if you're in photos and you want to share a particular photo, you can say, I want the photo in zone six and it will zoom in on that. And then you can say share options and it will bring up one, two, three, four, five, six. And you can pick whether you want to airdrop it or message it or whatever. And again, there's so much of the operating system you can use just with your voice beyond the simple dictation I talked about before. You are actually as far as, I, well, certainly in the marketing side of it, able to use the system almost completely just using your voice. And I just think that's incredible. Yeah, I wonder how many how many people use it. I mean, they must know. I wonder how many people use this sort of functionality because they, they do put a lot of effort into accessibility. And to be fair to Apple, they always have. They do. And this is where I'm going with this. And there's a, there's a video in the show notes called Under Voice Control. It's about a minute and a half long. That's worth watching just to get an idea how this kind of stuff works. But what they've announced for the next version of the OS that comes along are new accessibility features. And there's a few things within this. There's assistive access, which is they'll take this to the next level and actually make the icons in the screen significantly bigger, depending on what's going on with, with the device, to make it even more usable for people that may have movement or sight dis- disorders. There'll be a detection mode in the magnifier. So the magnifying glass has been kind of a joke, I think, on your iPhone up till now, where if you do want to zoom in on like some small serial numbers or something like that, you're able to use the iPhone for that. But now we'll actually read out what it sees. So if you use the detection mode in the magnifier and you point it at your microwave, it will tell you what the buttons are and what they do for people who may not be able to see that very well. And again, I think that's a really useful feature. But the third thing is probably the most significant, and it's a feature called Save Your Voice. So what's in America, they call it Lou Gehrig's disease, but the rest of the world would call it ALS. You lose your voice, you lose the capacity to speech. And I was involved with a piece of research about 10 years ago where there was a very expensive process going on in some clinics up and down the UK where you would actually record your voice while you still had it. So when you got to the stage of somebody like a Stephen Hawking, instead of having the robot voice that he was what became known for, you'd actually able to have the device read back all these commands in your own voice because you'd recorded enough dialogue to do it. Apple are announcing similar, a save your voice just on your own device. So you'll be able to, if you have ALS or a disease where you are losing your voice or you know you want the dictation to be read back in your voice, on device, you're going to have that kind of technology at your fingertips. I just think that's incredible. Yes, all three of those things that you've described sound very cool. So the voice piece is quite clever, isn't it, by the sounds of it? You, you'll you be able to, re- you, you say some paragraphs, some sentences, and then it will use that then to regurgitate words as you, in essence. Like, it sounds very, very neat, because that could be amazing if somebody really is losing their voice, like just the impact of that. 
And they, I don't think we said it, but they launched these all on National Accessibility Day. That's why they announce it when they do. And again, it's something they've taken out of the keynote, which makes sense. But quite a cool feature. But again, massively limited market, but yet they've invested real effort into it. And it looks amazing. Like, very technically clever what they've done. And the assistive access that you mentioned. I mean, that looks, looks like you've got a whole new, very simple to use iPhone. It looks fantastic. You know, I'm, I'm thinking of turning that on for my mum and dad just to, so it's a nice, simple interface for them. Yeah, I mean, it's you could levy at the iPhone that some of the interfaces are quite hard work. Even the phone interface, the touch targets for the buttons. If you see elderly people that ha- used to have, you know, dialing phones back in the day, the, the keypads they'd make for them would be massive because, you know, if you've got a shake or any sort of tremor in your fingers and you're trying to make contact with quite a small area, that's challenging. So to make these things as big as possible and to make if you think of all the times you touch your iPhone over the course of a day, quite a lot of them are quite fine motor control movements. So anything to make that a little bit better for people that don't have that level of precision is a laudable thing. Yeah, definitely. So it looks, like I say, it looks like a whole new skin for iOS. So I wonder how they've done it, whether that's where apps are written in Swift UI that can then easily be adapted to, to do this assistive access. So yeah, it looks very cool. Yeah, I hope they do it right because... You know, with my slightly worried security researcher hat on, the whole save your voice thing, if you're able to effortlessly get somebody's voice out and if your bank has like a voice print authorization or something like that, you know, you don't need to go very far to see the potential security implications of something like this. And we're into, we're back into our machine learning paranoia mode here at the moment. But genuinely, for those people who have a need for something like this, I think it's very impressive that Apple are allowing them providing this ability on their phone i hope they don't make it a subscription on apple plus i did think of the film sneakers where my voice is my passport verify me they have to get a gentleman to say those words they record them they stitch them together and then they can access his security by playing that clip and that's what it made me think of but i think you've got to read random phrases to do it you know it's never going to be perfect day one i'm I'm interested how it stores on the phone what happens when you get a new phone does it move over Uh, you know because they do a lot on device. What happens if that phone gets stolen? Will it get backed up to iCloud? There's a few interesting things there, I think. Yeah, there's there's, there's a, the rest of the story to be told, but just in concept, the ability to do this, I think, will be massively reassuring for lots of people. No, definitely. One day we may all need some of this. You just don't know, do you? So I definitely want to be able to use my tech when I'm a lot older than what I am now. So I think this is all really cool. Well, this is where I started from, that even if all you've got is older, you're older and your sight's beginning to go, there's already a part of the iPhone that can afford, you know, allow that affordance. So it's good that they're beginning to think about it, because let's face it, the 20-year-olds who bought iPhones when they came out are, you know, 34 or 35 at this point already, aren't they? We're all getting older using these devices, and they all need to account for this. Yeah, I was just trying to think how old I was when the iPhone came out. I must be about 25. Life has moved on a bit since then. It has a bit, hasn't it? Good. Okay. Anything else to say about assistive stuff other than a well done Apple? I think they're, they're, this is moves in the right direction for people to enable them to use technology that could otherwise be extremely limiting. And we know that elderly people really struggle with this kind of stuff. I've, I watch my parents try and make sense of car parking apps, for example. There's a lot. There's a long way to go to use this kind of stuff. And you said your mother or father might benefit from some of these things too. So we all get older. This is just something that's a fact of life. So building it into the phone for the general population will actually benefit those people who actually need it most and have a genuine disability at some stage of their lives or all throughout their lives to actually enable them to use these technologies and not be left behind. I think it's really important. No, definitely. And actually, Apple's press release on the, on the website we've linked to 
It's got loads of stuff in it that they've done. They've, they've, you know, they mention Apple Music and Apple Books and podcasts and they're doing some shortcuts and Apple stores. And they've done a whole a whole lot of A, technical work, but B, they've then done a load of softer stuff around it to, to promote, like I say, a book or a podcast. So I think they really embrace the accessibility and a lot of other companies you should do the same. 100% agree. Shall we move on to App of the Week? Go on then, what's App of the Week? Okay, it's very small. It's very simple. It serves a purpose that might be a bit nerdy for me. Have you ever wondered what the bird that's making that horrendous noise outside your window is in the morning? I don't just ask my wife because she's quite clued up on these things. Well, if you don't have a wife who knows the answer to these things and you want an app to tell you instead, there is one now. So it's called Merlin Bird ID. It's from one of the universities in America. I want to say Cornell, but it's it's a development of one of their research labs. You install it. It wants an email address, which I find a little bit odd, but, you know, such is life. Doesn't everybody want an email address these days? I gave a slightly dodgy one, so it wouldn't hassle me too much. But even if you put in a wrong one, you've got five days to use the app before you have to validate it. It then asks what part of the world you're in, and it will download, in my case, 700 megs of, of files from a server somewhere which presumably contain bird song of that area of the world. So obviously Australian birds sound different to European ones. Then you just hit record on it. And while it was recording and it keeps the recording, it will identify every bird it can hear singing around you while it's on. So I tried it in the garden earlier and it identified, and I know a blackbird, I identified a blackbird accurately and a goldfinch. Just And it was all quiet. I wasn't particularly close to any of these these birds, but I was super impressed how quickly it did it while the app was sort of parsing through it. Uh, so I just thought that was really cool. It also has a visual thing where it gives you a, a guide. What, what size bird do you think you're looking at? Is it sparrow size? Is it blackbird size? And, and sort of up from there. And it will sort of try and narrow down what it is that you're looking at. So I just thought it was super cool for a free app. And if you are interested what's making that beautiful or horrible scraking noise outside your window, this is going to help you out with that. No, it looks really good. And we, we've actually taken photos of birds before and text my brother-in-law because he works for the RSPB and go, what's this? So uh, no, it looks really good. Yeah, I'm really impressed with it. It's free. It's simple. It might solve a problem for you. But actually, I just think it's a really cool app. Yeah, it's cool. And it's been going for a long time, by the looks of it, about three years. I was just having a look at the release notes. Yeah, so a bit different this week. Merlin Bird ID, link in the show notes. There you go. Okay, so my thing of the week, as I lovingly called it, is actually an album that's just been announced. So the band Blur, UK Britpop band, have got a new album coming out. It's called The Ballad of Darren, and they've released a single called The Narcissist, and it's on Apple Music, and I was really enjoying it. It's I don't know if it's going to be your thing or not, Rod. I'll, see, I'll let you listen to it and you can feedback. But I've, I've been quite enjoying it, and I'm happy to see Blur have got a new album coming out. Well, I was listening to the Gorillaz album earlier in the day. I'm a big fan of Gorillaz. They share a singer with Blur, and I didn't mind Blur back in the day. I was more on the Oasis side of the fence than the Blur side of the fence, but I'm, I'm partial to a bit of Blur. Yeah, I was just happy to see it come up. I didn't know it was coming, and it literally just popped up in Apple Music. And I was like, brilliant. This is why I've got a music streaming service. And I just quite enjoyed the single. I thought it was nice. So I would, would recommend a listen for a few, three, four minutes of somebody's time. Well, this is completely off topic here, but I have booked a gig for September with my daughter to see a band of my youth called the Sisters of Mercy. So we're going to Camden Roundhouse in September to see the Sisters of Mercy. She is possibly more excited than I am, but it's one of the very first gigs I ever went to see, big gigs I went to see when I was 17, 18 with the Sisters. So I'm super keen to go and see them again. And I can't quite believe they're still touring, actually, but I'll take that and maybe I'll have a gig report to come back to you with. It's great when you can find something to share with your, with your children, isn't it? I think that you can go and enjoy it together. 
Totally is. She says one of the singles makes great gym music. I'm sure proud gothic band that they are would be scandalised that somebody was going to listen to, a gy- to the, the gym while they're working out, but uh, never mind. We'll see. Yeah, no, be good. Okay, well, you can report back in September then. I shall. I think, that's I think we can call that a show, Chris. I think that's the end of the show. So if anyone wants to get into contact with us, reach out. Rod is at g5maniac at maston.scott. I am at underscore cjp at maston.social. Or you can drop us an email at wakefromsleep at protonmail.com. Talk to you next week, Chris. Cheers, Rod. Thank you.